Call. And now, here's your host, Brett Sterling. Hello, everybody, and welcome back here to Freedom's Call on Key Radio, KEYK 89.3, Lake of the Ozarks. I'm your host, Brett Sterling. I'm joined today by uh, Senator, Missouri State Senator, Eric Burleson from the 20th Senate District here in the state. Uh, Senator Burleson, thank you very much for joining us here on Freedom's Call. Yeah, Brett, it's always great to talk with you, buddy. Well, we definitely appreciate it and appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule um, to, uh, uh, to to join us here today and speak with our listeners. Now, now you're in the in the 20th Senate District, which is basically uh, I, th- I think the best description is that it's it's the donut around Springfield. And the 30th District is the donut hole that actually is more Springfield proper. Now, what, what are what are some and I mean, I think I think the 20th District is a pretty heavily, uh, pretty heavily slanted Republican. Uh, I mean, it's what is about like plus plus 15 plus 20 points yeah, to uh, Republican easily, easily. It is a um, it's a it's a fantastic district. It's people that um, that enjoy the it, that enjoy not having to live with all the mandates and the, the draconian laws of, of the of a city like Springfield. So we have so I live particularly in the city of Battlefield, Missouri, and um, we have one of the lowest crime rates in the state, actually the lowest crime rate in the state of Missouri. And we get to enjoy things like fireworks and, and other things that uh, some citizens uh, cannot do. And so and low taxes, people love in the, in the 20th Senate District, not having to pay all the high taxes that they do in some of the other areas. Well, that is kind of a novel concept, low taxes and, uh, and, and, freedom. and, and fireworks and freedom. Yes, absolutely. And that's, you know, I, I sometimes not so affectionately um, refer to Springfield as Springfieldistan um, with some of the, uh, with some of, some of the, uh, the, the regulations that are, that our city government is kind enough to, uh, to, to impose. And uh, also some of our other larger employers, which shall be, shall remain nameless here at this point. Um, so what, what are some of the concerns of your, I mean, aside obviously from freedom and lower ta- low taxation, I mean, what are some of the priorities from, of your, uh, of your constituents uh, policy wise? So I, I think that we saw really what's happened over the last couple of years, a real um, degrading of, individual liberty and what is what I think is was originally established for us, which was this opportunity to govern ourselves. This the founders really wanted an educated population that they thought was smart enough to make decisions for their own lives. And we have wholeheartedly abandoned that that vision over the last couple of years. We we basically have turned over all of our decisions for individual lives, or many of the politicians have turned it over to to uh, Fauci, or as they like to say, follow the science, right? So that you, you have like one, one uh, figurehead who wants to, who gets to tell the rest of the world how you individually should be, all the actions that you should be taking with your family and, and your life. And I think that um, we, we rejected this notion long ago. 
right? We had a king at one point in our history, and we rejected that concept. And so, uh, because the goal is that people, the idea is that people should be able to make decisions or are smart enough to make decisions for themselves that are in their own best interest. And, and so, that's what I think um, is probably more at stake than anything today is this, this, um, this idea that we're at this, this crossroads. Are we going to continue to be the nation that, we, that was once dreamed, and, which is to be the, the, the first nation on the planet and to continue to be that nation where individuals are able to govern themselves? Or are we going to go back in time and, um, and really strap on the restraints uh, that we once were able to break free from? Yeah, I think that's a that's a great point. I have I, I get in a conversation with some um, some individuals from time to time to consider themselves a little bit more uh, enlightened, and they talk about you know Brett, you really you, this is great. You got to get you got to get out of the the 18th century. You got to get out of the 1700s. You know the Constitution was written for a totally different time, and we need an update. And you know we have you know, planes, trains, and automobiles and Wi-Fi and all this stuff. You really need to get with it. And I always, I always point out that, you know, you might think that we're trapped, that I'm trapped back in the 1700s. But if you look back at systems of government, self-governing citizens and governmental power vested in the people and not the state is actually the most contemporary form of government. And what they're advocating for is going back to feudal times to where there truly are, there, there's, there, there truly is a, 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 a almost a dictatorial authority. authority. Yeah. yeah. And that just seems to, that just seems to be a lost concept and, and, you know, what you're talking about is self-governing citizens, and that is is absolutely the most contemporary form of government. And that's really what's meant by American exceptionalism. You know, it was to, it was totally, you know, totally misunderstood by, you know, past presidents uh, that think that, oh, well, that just means that, you know, Americans think that they're just better than everybody else. No, this is the exception to the rule. Self-governing is exception, exception to the rule. And I think that's what you speak to. And I think when you combine that with the, this Judeo-Christian thought, which was unique as well, and that is that you as an individual have a relationship with something higher than just any other government official, or it's, it's that you have a relationship with your creator mm-hmm. and that we were put on this planet for a reason that you distinctly are here for a unique reason, not the same reason that I'm here. You don't, you have an, an entirely different past an entirely different destiny than I have. And what's, uh, what is your destiny and your path is not for me to decide and mm-hmm. how you're going to conduct your life and, and how you're, what actions you should be taking is not for me to decide. And so this is what I think is, um, is, is really a beautiful, um, inspiring um, part of the American journey And what I think it created is this, obviously, this monumental system, this this government where people dared to dream impossible dreams, right? Because they didn't feel that that they had to check permission first, right? The Wright brothers didn't have to go get some license and didn't have to go get permission before they did all of that testing. They built a plane and, and 
drove mankind further because they dared to dream things. And that could have only happened in America. And so um, I say that to say, as we've been going through this really difficult time where the world wants everyone to hunker down and shut down and, and turn off the lights basically, and just, and not talk to each other, not challenge who you are or, or, and, and be with other people. It really is the antithesis of what America is all about. You know, um, I'm thinking my, one of my favorite quotes is a quote from Helen Keller and, um, she once said, and it, and it just struck me so much during all of this shutdown. She said, you know, um, she was talking, she said that security does not exist and nor do the children of men as a whole experience it. Avoiding danger is no, is no, is not better off. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. Wow. I mean, think about that. This is from a person who, who had every excuse in the world to be shut down, to not, to, to not do anything because everything that she did was a risk. Mm -hmm. But the question we all need to be asking ourselves again is why are we here? You only have but one life to live. And so when government is trying to tell you not to do things or tell you what, what you should be doing with that one life, you should be asking yourself, I've only got one life, right? What should I be doing with it? And I, and I think that most people should, the, the, the logical conclusion is, who do I owe this one life to? I don't owe it to government. I owe it to my creator. And I owe it to that creator to live this adventure while I'm here. You know, amen, amen to that. And very well said. And I think, you know, what you, what you touched upon is, you know, a, a main tenet of conservatism that in, in our family principles that our, our, our rights, our, our natural rights, you know, come from, are given to us from God. They're not given to us from government. And there's certain things that, you know, man cannot vote on. They can't vote on our, you know, right to defend ourselves. They can't, um, they can't, they can't vote on, you know, our right to life. Um, and, you know, this is, this is kind of a fundamental, a primary tenet um, of limited government as well, because if, you know, and I think that's what, you know, liberalism, progressivism, and, you know, the other, the other offshoots, whatever you want to, uh, you know, call them, you know, really focus on this man centered universe and, you know, in, in that worldview, then man can dictate who has what rights, what rights each individual has, take away rights at a whim, um, because man is fallible. You know, God is not. God is kind of the is, is the is the fixed point in the universe. And, you know, I think that we've seen that that, that man tends to follow this moral relativism and I can justify any action by any person given certain circumstances, but no, they are, there are firm, solid differences between right and wrong. And just this, this, this liberal view of government, 
Um, it's not a classical liberal view of government. You know, conservatism is more of a classical liberal view of government. It's pro-liberty. Um, you know, there, there's no there's no limiting factor to uh, what the government can do to you or can attempt to do for you. And, and I think that is something that's very unique in our in our uh, in our uh, country. Absolutely. That's what's that's what makes this place so precious, you know. I think Reagan said, if we lose freedom here, where do we go? This is the last, this is the last place on earth. So we have to, we have to fight for this Republic that we've been given. Yeah. And I think, yeah. And and, I mean, Reagan's words are very, very prescient because yeah, there is, there is no other word, no other place to go. There's no other place to where freedom we can, we can be as free to where we can, you know, dare, dare to dream as you, as you say, and aspire to these, uh, these these lofty goals, and you look at all the kind of going back to you know the view that the Constitution is an outdated document. You know, point to you know the detractors point to all these technological uh, improvements and advances. And again, I just kind of point out, I'm like I'm I'm pretty sure that the Constitution was still in place when we, as you said, when when we developed the ability to fly, you know, when we develop the, the automobile, when we went to the moon, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the constitution was still there. So the constitution, those principles are timeless. They allow for innovation. They allow for societal advancement and, and improvement in life. They don't deter it, but they, it's a contract between the individual and government limiting what government can do to you. And that's the thing that I think that I don't know, is that do you think that's a failure of our education system that that people just don't understand um, how precious, you know, a gift that we've been given and in the, in the value of the constitutional principles? Oh, absolutely. You know, that was the, the whole reason why we have the education system that we have um, and why, why we fund public schools is for that very reason. Right. So. Um, the founding fathers wanted um, the student immediately after giving us this Republic, you know, what has Benjamin Franklin said, a Republic, if you can keep it, um, the founding fathers went about trying to make sure that, um, that there was an educated electorate that understood how precious a a Republican, a Republic was, and that it was, it was completely different than um, the tyranny of a democracy. So a republic, I kind of think of it as what they wanted to create was something similar to the way that your, your banking system works. So when you put money in the bank, sure, the bank is in control physically of those funds, but you always can, you all, at the end of the day, they're yours. Mm-hmm. And it's the banker's responsibility to be a trustee of those funds Right. And so when you come to call on them, they're supposed to be there when you when you ask for it. So um, in in the same way, a republic is different than a a democracy. So when you if in a democracy, you vote and it's over and you're all power is gone after the vote. Right. But in a republic, because there's that constant relationship and in essence, that's why we, we have a president. We don't have a king. Just like if you were a stockholder in a company, you appoint the president as, as someone who is the, who's the trustee over that enterprise. 
and, mm-hmm. and the shareholders can fire that person. So in the same way, our elected officials, they're not, they don't own our lives. They don't own our rights. They are the trustees, which is why we can fire them if they're doing a poor job. And we get that opportunity every, every few years. But that, that's the basic concept is that you're never totally giving up your rights. And they can never totally take them from you under this system, this republic. And that's why we have the Bill of Rights. And that way, that's why we divided up all the political power amongst the equal branches. Or, well, actually, not I mean, the legislature is a little bit more power but amongst mm-hmm. the branches and amongst the different layers of government between the federal and the state. And then the state divides that power between the state and the county and the city. And so by really breaking up all that power, we have created this beautiful system that is designed so that you as an individual, whenever you are investing your political power per se, you're not, there's not one single person that could, um, could steal the whole thing. And so that concept is not, is really difficult to understand. And we basically fund public schools for that reason. We, the reason in the Missouri constitution, for example, it says that we shall fund public schools. Um, Oh, I'll pull it up. I mean, it's basically says that free public schools um, it, it, or public schools are being funded for the general diffusion of knowledge and intelligence that it's being essential to preserve the rights and liberties of the people. Therefore, the General Assembly shall fund free public schools, mm-hmm. right? And we do it. We fund public schools not so that people can have jobs, which is great, which is a great outcome, but we fund it so that people understand that it's important to preserve the rights and liberties of the people. And so, right. That would, that'd be really nice if our educational system actually followed through on those principles, wouldn't it? Right. But they don't, (laughs) they absolutely don't. And instead we're, we're focused on critical uh, race theory. Our schools have become hijacked by, uh, by what I would call the left by the, with, which is help it to, um, to destroy the principles of this country, to make every child feel like they should be ashamed just to because, uh, because they, you know, you know, they start with critical race theory by saying that you should apologize because you're standing on ground that was once owned by Native Americans and stolen, mm-hmm. right? And so it starts with it doesn't matter who you are, the land you're standing on is stolen, mm-hmm. and you should be ashamed. And then it, then it proceeds from there. The other further systems that we have in place are designed and rigged, you know, against other, other people. And so that no matter what, what, who you are, what you, you, you are benefiting from a rigged system and you should be ashamed of that just, just by being, being able to breathe air and be here, you should be ashamed and I just, it's, I think that just goes so counter to, uh, to what, to what, who we are as Americans, right? Well, for sure. I mean, everybody's either, you're either an oppressor or you're oppressed. I mean, there's just basically, they seg- effectively segregate out two different, two different classes. So, so, so that we have a public school system that's focused on that they have, they focus on, uh, 
you know, teaching kids that you're destroyed, you are a poison to the planet and everything you do and everything you eat is a poison to this planet and that we are destroying the planet. Um, they, it, they're focused on completely challenging the notion of what is, uh, um, you know, what, what is a human, like a gender. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you, by the time that our public schools get done with these children, they don't know up from down. They don't know left from right. And they're completely and totally confused. And I think that's the model. That's the design is to create um, people that can be controlled that are uh, because they, if you don't, if you don't know what truth is and then how can you possibly stand up for anything? hundred percent. You know, the, the, the biggest, I mean, the big, the greatest threat to a, to a, to a tyrannical government is a self-informed, knowledgeable, self-governing citizen. And it's, and it's something that I get mad about. And the only answer I can come up with is to put fiscal restraints on Congress like we do have in Missouri with the Hancock Amendment. And I strongly believe that we need to put, we need to uh, take power from these, um, from these lawmakers because I don't think that they have the discretion to control their spending. No, and I think, you know, and they've, they've proven that, you know, year after year and decade after decade, it doesn't matter whether Republicans or Democrats are in control of, of, of Congress and, and or the presidency, you know, the, the framers understood it's just it's just a basic tenet of 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 uh, human nature to try to uh, accrete more and more power to yourself and kind of have, you know, whether it's a feeling of importance, uh, a desire for power, whatever. I mean, that's that's one of the you know, that's that's a, a human flaw that we that we all have. So they endeavored to, to build and, and model institutions that would that would least be least likely to infringe upon our individual rights and a couple of the defense mechanisms I have, have people you know point out, well, we just need to, we just need to follow the 10th amendment. I said, Hey, I understand. I agree with the principles of the 10th amendment, you know, any, anything that's not specifically any, any authority that's not specifically given the federal government is reserved to the States and the people hundred percent agree with that. But then the next question is what's the defense mechanism what is the penalty mechanism of the 10th Amendment? Well, there isn't one. And the reason why there isn't one, because the framers already uh, included two defense mechanisms, and that was state legislatures selecting their two senators to go to Washington, D.C., right. to be the state's voice in the federal government, and two was the Convention of States process. And I think, you know, you know, like you you know, in in this kind of cuts across, and I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this kind of cuts across all different political views. That the, the supermajority of people agree that government does too much, or that DC does too much, they spend too much, and they stay there too long. They also agree that they're never ever going to do anything to correct any of those items. And so, this seems to be a reasonable way to, and it's really the constitution. I think you'd, I think you'd agree is, is kind of the roadmap is the owner's manual to the, our, to our Republic. And this is what they've told us to do. I yeah. mean, is, I mean, yeah. is that, is that and a statement I, I think, you agree with? I think you're right. I think that you're right. Like when you list, when you look at the, what their intention was and why they put it into the constitution, it was for such a time as this, 
And the fact that state legislators are not utilizing it is, is mal, I mean, I don't know the right term, but malpractice, but it's just, they're not doing their job. If we don't call the federal government to task and we don't utilize the tool, the very tool, the last tool we have left to do so, then we're failing in our, our job as legislators. And that's how I came from being someone who was opposed or concerned about it to being someone who is ardently in favor of, of, a, of using Article 5 to address this situation. Well, I know I definitely definitely appreciate that. And I you know, really, really appreciate your time and your and your your dedication to to public service and and, and to preserving preserving our founding principles and 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 speaking, I guess speaking truth to power and uh and trying to and trying to rein in the federal government. So definitely wish you uh best of luck in whatever capacity that your future might lead and uh, wish you all the success and and um and thanks thanks for being here on uh, on freedom's call we appreciate it senator thank you brett it's always great talking with you likewise likewise take care <laughs>